This episode is brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast ever. It's a powerful mobile app and web tool that lets you record a podcast anywhere and distribute it everywhere. It's great whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out. And it's 100% free. Anchor provides creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. You can record your show straight onto Anchor on your phone, iPad, or the web and use any mic you want. Record alone, with friends, or co-host anywhere in the world. Plus, your listeners can send you voice messages that you can then incorporate right into your episode. If you want to produce your show using another app, you can upload your own audio directly from web or mobile and still take advantage of Anchor's totally free podcast hosting. Here at Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. So your listeners can choose where they want to hear your show. Really don't need a recording studio, expensive equipment, or a bunch of technical knowledge to deal with the podcast feed. Just get started and join the diverse community of podcasters already on Anchor. Download the Anchor app available on the App Store and Google Play, or go to anchor.fm on your desktop to get started. Hello, hello, and welcome again to uh, Time. I'm Calvin. And I'm Yashar. And uh, today today we have a nice special episode for you guys. Um, we all know that you guys are all cooped up inside. And, uh, you know, the pandemic is kind of like the topic of choice right now. So um, we've actually uh, got two special guests uh, to introduce you guys. But we're actually going to let them do it because they're probably much better at introducing themselves than we are. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to give the floor. Hi, everybody. My name is Jan. I'm a fourth year psychiatry resident over in uh, Calgary at this time. Happy to join you guys. Hi, I'm uh, Jonathan. I'm a fifth year neurology uh, resident in Western Ontario, uh, finishing my last year. Awesome. And uh, so one of the main reasons is uh, if, you know, their um, <laughs> uh, their introductions haven't, haven't said so yet is... Uh, um, so Jen and, and John are the uh, performers in a video, uh, a Dear Evan Hansen cover, uh, done by medical doctors and healthcare professionals uh, from across the country of Canada that really speaks to the, uh, you know, the, the stressors of the pandemic. And today it's already got 7,000 views on YouTube. So that is like fantastic. We, we actually, we saw it and we were like, oh my God, we need to have these guys on the podcast. Right, yeah, sure. That's right. Like I saw it on Solidation Trait first. And then I, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, this is pretty cool. Uh, talking about uh, having a cover because of the whole pandemic and gathering medical professionals from all across Canada. So I wanted to dive into deep, dive deeper into that. And that's why I reached out to Jan first. And I'm like, hey, are you interested in doing this? We usually want to tell stories about Asian Canadians and Asian North Americans. And this seemed like a, such a cool concept, like incorporating both the situation and doing a music cover that I'm like, Jan, if you're able to, please come on. And we here we are today. <laughs> so I, I guess the first question is, um, how did you come up with this idea? And like, you know, uh, is this something that you normally do or or how, how does this happen? Yeah, I guess I could start off a bit here. And, and John, please feel free, feel free to uh, jump in <laughs> at any point. 
Um, basically, the backstory is that all five of us knew each other from med school, and we would always uh, you know, perform here and there, especially the four guys. Um, we were also friends with uh, uh, Jenny as well. And actually, we all knew each other through the med school choir. Um, and John actually um, led that at one point. And then eventually it was um, Jenny and, and Michael, one of the other guys that was singing with us. Uh, they ended up becoming the leaders uh, later on once John had graduated. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, we've stayed in touch. And when this whole pandemic thing uh, came up, um, I was I had also like just recently watched Dear Evan Hansen back in February. And I was like playing it on full blast on repeat, like throughout my house over and over again to my wow. wife's play. Yeah. Uh, so one song that really stood out to me uh, was You Will Be Found, just because I thought it had such a timeless message of hope. And so I just uh, rang these guys up on uh, Facebook Messenger and said if they wanted to, to try giving this a shot uh, virtually. And they were all super down and yeah, I'm, I'm happy it came together. Could you elaborate a little bit more on the, uh, I know that you had said that it was a timeless uh, message of hope, but like, is there anything specific that you wanted to address with this song? Yeah, uh, I guess on my side, being in psychiatry, I always value mental health quite a bit. And I know the musical Dear Evan Hansen uh, is all about mental health, right? And uh, how sometimes people can slip through the cracks and not be noticed in times when they need to be. Um, and I think that really rings true just in general for people, and especially now during these times when people may be a bit more scared or just uh, nervous on, on how to get that help. And that's always a big thing um, in psychiatry too, just emphasizing to our patients that pretty much the most important thing they can do is to not be isolated and to actually uh, reach out their hand when they need that uh, assistance. And so that was um, the kind of the big uh, angle from, uh, from my side. And uh, so I guess, would you say, I know that like in our, uh, in our society, we kind of have um, like, we have this like view of, of doctors that like, you know, you know, they're, you know, very, uh, very capable people, very, very smart and stuff. Would you kind of say that like um, sometimes they're the stressors that they deal with and the hurdles that they have to deal with are kind of overlooked a little bit because we're like, oh yeah, they're doctors. They're, they're fine. They're, you know, they're great. They're, they're amazing type thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, it really speaks loudly when you take a look at, for example, suicide rates uh, amongst physicians and dentists and even like, like, um, personally, like I, I know that there's been like a couple, um, suicides even in uh, my own, like, uh, university of Calgary residency program, not necessarily in psychiatry, but like, um, in other specialties. And so uh, it's really sad that, uh, sometimes people may just not quite be realizing uh, the burden they're taking on and uh, not getting help before they need it. Yeah, I um, I guess just a comment about um, the choice of You Will Be Found as well. Um, I think part of Dear Evan Hansen also really talks a bit about uh, social media um, and kind of its influence, whether for good or for bad, on people's lives. And I think one of the other really nice things about the choice of um, doing this song is that it emphasizes that social media can also be kind of for good instead of just kind of reinforcing the headlines about coronavirus and you know death numbers and all the negative messaging we that perpetuates the media in many ways so um i think in terms of the question about healthcare workers and especially physicians it's it's hard because i think 
part of the discourse about, you know, support our heroes and everything like that, there's almost like another kind of pressure from that. And sometimes it feels like, well, you know, all these people want us to do so much. Are we ever doing enough? And there's always the scientific, you know, pieces about that. Like, do we have enough PPE and exposure? But I, I think there's this whole negative environment, um, both in social media, um, about whether we whether whether we can live up to the expectations of society um and there's the isolation too that comes with um kind of government policy and all of that but i think what we were trying to do as jan had alluded is you know reach out to people to say that you know whether you are healthcare related or not um we aren't alone in this pandemic and we all want to get through this together and within like the topic of like mental health uh, through the musical and, you know, through your studies, uh, how has this pandemic like affected your mental health uh, in, in what way so? And what have you done to cope with it as well as uh, what are ways that other people can cope with isolation and all that? Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges has been just how much negative media there is i mean you can't escape it right like on facebook there are endless groups and posts about numbers and things like that i think for myself actually having to disconnect from a lot of the things that i would normally use like facebook i've removed from my phone reddit i've removed um a lot of things that i think reinforce just negative statistics i used to check like the who statistics on a daily basis and their updated stats but i don't think that's very productive and i think being able to really focus on what are the productive things i can use this time for how can i connect to people who i haven't spoken to in a long time and it's actually been really nice that uh, even friends or relatives who I don't normally speak to in kind of the sense of the end of the world happening, people are reaching out and asking me about how I'm doing. And I think that's actually been one of the most helpful things to my mental health is knowing that people are thinking and worrying about me, um, even people who I may have lost touch with from before. So I guess it's more of a, it's almost as if like this way that you're, you're approaching this this situation. I mean, like, you know, we're, we're all in quarantine. We, can't, we don't really have like a choice about this, but the way that you look at it really makes a difference because you're, you're looking at the, the positive sides of it. I think one of the biggest dangers of the pandemic is it happens so suddenly and so quickly that people, there is almost this expectation from society that, you know, this is really bad and then it's going to suddenly go back to normal in a month or two and that, you know, we're going to be shopping at uh, Farm Boy the same way that we used to before or, um, like interacting socially like we did before. But I think it's going to be a much slower, slower return to normal. And it's going to change the face of many industries, not only medicine, but whether it's business meetings and whether it's the aviation industry. And I think trying to come up with sustainable ways that we can maintain our mental health, not just over the next few days to weeks, but over the next months to years and learning how to adapt and evolve to the situation is really important. Well, I mean, like uh, also now, you guys are like in the thick of it every day and everything like what, what distinct do you guys have distinct changes between like how life was before for you guys and then now that you know you're you're frontline workers in this whole pandemic mm -hmm. yeah in terms of changes uh i feel like uh i fear that my wife and i have been coping too well with the changes uh like when this first all came to be like we were just binge watching tv shows and anime 
in video games and stuff. But I think what I think um, soon after that, we were starting to realize uh, you know, how much we missed that face-to-face interaction with our friends and our family. Um, and in terms of how it actually impacted, uh, I guess, us as frontline workers um, ourselves, because my wife actually works at the hospital too. For me, I think it affected me more because I was initially working at an outpatient clinic. Uh, but once the pandemic hit, we weren't really uh, continuing on with lots of these non-urgent appointments. And so at that point, I was then kind of sort of redeployed to the, the hospitals. And so I was doing much more work down in the emergency departments uh, and also doing some more work uh, on the, and currently I'm still doing some work on the uh, inpatient mental health units here in Calgary, uh, just kind of doing more acute care. And that's kind of how, uh, how it's shifted in that way. And I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's, it's a good change of pace. And uh, I do feel like kind of the work is quite fulfilling right now. And uh, yeah, just really interesting to see uh, what the landscape is from this angle. And, uh, and John, how have you uh, seen the changes? So I'm, I'm in a little bit of a different boat than Jan was. So, and this is an issue that I think a lot of medical professionals across the country have faced, but for us in our last year of training, uh, we've all been kind of preparing for this year-end examination to kind of uh, certify us in our respective specialties. And it's really like a multi-month of long hours of studying and trying to learn everything that you can for this one kind of moment in time that passes you as a doctor. And then unfortunately, with all the social distancing regulations, um, you know, those exams were all canceled and um, postponed to indefinite dates. And there's been a lot of uncertainty, which has been very challenging to deal with, I think, both from a, a mental health perspective and just in terms of like a career planning perspective. A lot of us have been redeployed. Um, but, you know, I think understanding what the situation is now, we have the advantage of all of those months of preparation to kind of put back into the front line, which we weren't really expecting to be put in at this point. Um, for myself, I was also mainly studying and doing my outpatient blocks before this. And um, I've had um, a couple of months where I've been managing the inpatient stroke unit. And, you know, I think the way that healthcare is provided now is also very different. The atmosphere on the front lines is very different. I think, you know, everyone has to sign in their masks and sign out their masks. Um, there's this fear of running out of PPE. There's this fear that the layout of the hospitals doesn't allow the appropriate social distancing measures because people weren't meant to be two meters apart at all times in a hospital. Some areas are very cramped, whether they're the pharmacy spaces, whether they're um, the nursing stations, whether they're the resident rooms. And one of the nice things to see is how the administration has really rose to the challenge before we used to talk about all of our patients in a small cramped room where you know, there'd be five or six physicians, as well as maybe a nurse practitioner. And now we all have to find different empty outpatient offices and connect through a secure phone or video chat to talk about patients. And before you used to be able to take your whole group of learners to see a patient so that the team understands what's going on medically with them and that the learners can learn. But now it's thought to be too high of an infection risk. So there's a lot more isolation even in the hospital. But it also has led to a lot of innovation in terms of the ways that we can talk about patients and the ways that we can help reduce exposure, which has been nice to see. I know that as doctors, you guys have this like wealth of knowledge. So uh, would you say that having that wealth of knowledge has made you a little bit more stressed about this? 
versus someone who, you know, maybe doesn't know that like, you know, this could lead to this and this could lead to this and lung failure, cardiac arrest, all these sort of things could happen from this disease. What do you guys think about that? Uh, for me, I actually feel like most of the people I know in my life who are not medical are actually um, taking things, you know, more careful uh, than I am, which is, you know, not a bad thing necessarily. And so they seem to be kind of actively researching these kind of topics to a, to a pretty decently healthy degree and taking the proper precautions. If anything, like, um, yeah, I, I've never really seen people who are like, you know, taking it to two lakhs, but again, this is pretty biased based on my own social circle and my own uh, family and friend circle though. But of course, you know, you're going to be seeing lots of just people in the news or like, especially down in the States, perhaps where they are kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, where they feel like all these regulations are, are totally silly and go against their rights. Uh, and so that I haven't seen as much in my personal life. But yeah, it, it really just depends on who the layperson is that you're talking to. Mm -hmm. I would say from my experience, um, there has been very much a spectrum. I mean, you have some people who will wear gloves into the grocery store or um, will leave their groceries out in the garage for two or three days before they take them into the house and then they'll wash them multiple times before they cook them and then they'll wash them again after they've cooked them just because of the fears of potentially contracting the virus. But then you also see people who stroll in, you know, get really chummy with other people um, and very in your face. Uh, and, you know, it's just surprising to see what the spectrum of people are. I think I'm grateful that at least in, in my city, um, people have been, been very good about understanding the need for social distancing. We've managed to keep our numbers fairly constant, which has prevented the hospital from being overwhelmed. And I think there is a lot of fear that we would end up being like Italy or Spain, some of these horrible places where the hospital is just overwhelmed and you know we as physicians have to choose who lives or dies. Um, but I think it's because people have been understanding and been reading and been trying to help out with the frontline workers and with the whole public health movement that we've been able to um, keep Canada, you know, uh, on top of things uh, for the most part over the past few weeks to months. I just want to like piggyback off of like Calvin's question with the whole like the difference between like a frontline worker, like the knowledge of a frontline worker and like the knowledge of a regular individual, like at the very beginning of this whole thing, right? Like, you know how, like on the news, you get people were like hoarding uh, toilet paper or hoarding like a bunch of stuff and not knowing what to do during this whole pandemic, comparing that sort of scenario between you guys, has that like, have you been able to like, maybe let's say ration food more wisely or in terms of like a lifestyle? How have you two gone upon doing stuff like that? Honestly, I feel that even being a physician and um, my background, even before I went into medicine was in microbiology. So maybe I had a little bit of a home field advantage in understanding how some of these infections are passed on and transmitted. It still doesn't prepare you for the reality of of economic shortages and, you know, sure. running out of food supply chains and things like that. So I think despite knowing some of the facts that, um, 
the the virus is bad and that, you know, the mortality is X in this age group and whatnot, it hasn't really helped me much more than a layman in terms of like knowing, should I really be stocking up on this or that? Because it's been very unpredictable what has been, what has run out in some of the grocery stores. Like the toilet paper thing was very unexpected um, in terms of, there's no way I would have been able to know that before, um, before everyone started buying it out. Um, some of the hand sanitizer stuff, I think maybe you could say that was a bit more predictable. Um, but yeah, I, I think nobody was prepared for the scale of what this was going to be, unfortunately. So I've been in the same group as probably many of my neighbors who've been trying to ration. Yeah. And it's it's funny yeah. because you've got like um, you've got people out there that are like, yeah, this virus isn't real, and then they're wearing PPE, and <laughs> you're like, hmm, little devil standard there. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love I love too nowadays. I don't know if it's just Ontario, if it's all of Canada, where it's like the government mandate about shutting down like non-essential business. I'm sure it's most of it, yeah. Yeah. Oh, most of it. So yeah. like um like I know like most uh business like shut down doing regular things and then they go into doing uh like PPE manufacturing so mm. that you know we can get more PPE. But I've also noticed like other companies trying to use like the face masks as a way of also fashion too, which is quite interesting from my perspective. <laughs> it's a very complicated thing, I think, because I mean, at least from a health health provider perspective, I mean, the evidence behind how effective cloth masks and, you know, hand handmade devices is very limited. And we don't really know how effective, I guess, they all are. There's kind of both the idea of, am I protecting myself from getting what other people are having? Or am I really just protecting other people if I have something? Um, but, you know, I don't, I think we're going to learn more about it. And it's nice to see how, how many businesses have been able to innovate new solutions to trying to deal with social isolation. And I think I'm, I really applaud the Canadian businesses that have managed to um, really respect those isolation requirements. And I've also seen, like, uh, from my own point of view, I've also seen people, you know, outlashing against, like, medical workers or, like, even, like, people in restaurants. And have you guys gone through anything in the front lines of, like, people getting angry with you? I personally have not. Um, no, I, I would say not, not at my center. People have been fairly understanding, although I would say that I, there are more people who come into the outpatients not wearing a mask than wearing a mask than I would have expected. Um, but I, I think it's, it takes time for the reality of how, how severe things were to set in. Well, I mean, uh, we've been speaking a lot about, uh, you know, you guys' medical experiences and stuff, but like, uh, from, from more, uh, artsy perspective, like, um, so Jan, have, have you always been making videos or, or has this been like, uh, you know what, like I feel the urge, uh, there's the, you know, I feel inspired. I'm going to call up all my friends and, and make this video. Yeah, so I started making videos near the end of undergrad. So, wow, that's probably like, it's been about like nine or, or 10 years now. But the oh, thing wow. is, I was a lot uh, more active back then, back when I had much more free time on my hands. Uh, I, I was still not really pumping out a whole lot of videos, maybe just like a few videos a year, but just a lot more than what I am currently. Uh, but anyway, like that kind of, that kind of sparked the interest there. And Funny enough, like a big reason why I started um, doing videos was uh, my, I have two sisters who are fantastic at singing and music. And so I saw that they were doing some YouTube stuff and I just, I was like, oh, I want to do that too. And so like, that was the main reason I, I, I kind of got into the, the whole YouTube video thing. Um, but yeah, it's just been kind of going from there. Like, oh, all of us have, 
I think just pursued music in, in slightly different ways. And um, I've, yeah, I've just tried to be as regular as, as I can with uh, just kind of putting some videos together for, for people to enjoy. And uh, I was really grateful when I met John and the rest of them at med school, just to find other like-minded people who just also shared a really uh, big love for music. And so kind of towards the later years, even though we were, uh, I was posting a lot less videos, like almost all of them were collaborations. Uh, and a lot of them um, had John and the other guys in them and definitely a few with Jenny as well. So um, definitely not something we've never done before, uh, but this was the first time we have all four of us plus Jenny uh, were, were working on a song together for YouTube. So that was a nice experience and something that it might not have been uh, prompted if it wasn't for the situation actually, just because we're all so far apart. Mm -hmm. So who in the group came up with the name of Vaccination? <laughs> Michael? I, I forgot. It was uh, a collaborative effort. Um, there were a lot. Of, we were trying to make a medical pun, and there, I thought we. I think we thought that it was the best balance of um, kind of a positive and corny kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely good. I think. I think Yasher was telling me about it, and I was like, the, the "I was." I'm, I'm so confused, but then I saw it written. I'm like, "Oh, they're vaccine Asians." Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> After I spoke to Jan, I messaged Calvin right away, and Calvin's like, "What's the vaccination? Like, did you did you like was supposed to just write vaccination and then it just autocorrected?" It's like, "Nope, nope, that's who they are." <laughs> Honestly, that would that would be very funny if it autocorrected from vaccination to this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be concerning. <laughs> so, what what was uh, Jan like when he first asked you to to start doing? Uh, these sort of videos with you was it just like a random phone call like 3 a.m like dude greatest idea ever i mean i think if you look back on like when we started off as the vaccinations i think it was when i was in um i was in second year med school and um me uh phil jen and mike had noted that um you know we had some good voice chemistry i guess while we were singing in the choir and we thought mm -hmm. that you know why don't we try actually producing um high quality content and um jen actually has a very illustrious career on youtube and you know i remember even when when he came and did interviews everybody there are a lot of people who knew him as a youtube star and like oh my god is he applying oh my god um so we're all very excited that he was interested in working with you know all of us lowly people with no youtube experience oh, no media experience. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, in, john was in, actually in the choir school, leader yeah it was funny because in med school there is this um a kind of like a talent show um that um we had the opportunity to like prepare something for and i think originally we were thinking it'd be like maybe a one-off thing and i think we prepared um a cover for that that was like a pop medley and then eventually we we're like oh we spent so much time and effort we should really like turn this into a video and then we started producing um a couple of other covers and we had some really good opportunities back then where you know we got invited to perform at certain like medical events and things i think people were really enchanted just by the fact that we had a corny name um but yeah no jan's always been really humble very musically excellent he plays piano so well and sings so well it's and it's 
crazy to see how how much musical talent he has and how um generous uh he has been in like committing time and effort and trying to arrange and um edit and produce a lot of the content that we've done together jen um i mean now that we know that you have this illustrious career like (laughs) could you you tell us a little bit about it because i mean like um we know that this video was fantastically made but like how did like where did all these youtube skills come from I, i was putting out covers Usually you just pop songs, and the main one that started uh, picking up traction was Wedding Dress by Taeyang, like the song that just every Asian male and, and female was just obsessed about for like a year. So I did that um, with a couple of friends, um, and yeah, from that moment onward, I think uh, the subscriber base was increasing, and uh, I think shortly after that, that's when I went to Hong Kong, and just the summary of what happened was that well, I was in Hong Kong for a research project, and uh, the thing is, I had also happened to have entered into this music competition that was being held by this record label called Hummingbird Music. Uh, I don't know if they're still around, but basically, they're the the record label for this Hong Kong um, singer called Jem. She's very famous. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we've we've heard of her. <laughs> yeah, and so basically, I was one of the finalists for this competition, uh, and they asked me to come there in person to, to finish up with this competition. But like, I think I was arriving in Hong Kong just a few days later. And so I wasn't able to um, make it to those finals, but I ended up becoming pretty good friends with some of the other finalists there. And uh, all of that, actually a lot of them have gone on to be uh, quite successful. So like, like one of my friends uh, who was a finalist back then is now like a recording artist with Universal Music. And the other one is a recording artist with um, Warner Brothers. They're all quite well connected within the Asian community too. Like, uh, like one of them's quite good friends with um, guys at Wong Fu Productions, like, uh, like Bill. Gotcha. And yeah, uh, and she's been in a few of their videos too. And so, basically, um, me, her, and uh, the rest of us finalists, we decided to hold a concert at just one of the small bars. And so, it happened that the uh, that Gem's manager was there as well, uh, mm-hmm. the record label, and then so he he saw our show, and then he just approached me after and said, "Do you want to?" like uh go on this sh- other show like do you want to perform on the show and i thought he just meant like something that was like outdoor in a park or something but it turned out to be like this music television show on tvb and so i did that and then so that's kind of where um after that point um i think that was probably the busiest that my music career got uh, that's when most people were kind of actively viewing my channel and that's when i was reaching the crossroads of if i should be considering doing music as a full-time career versus just going on uh, with school, which is of course like, you know, the, the safer, more stable. <laughs> I just wanted to be practical. I'm like, you know, I'm fine with having music as a hobby and, and I know, you know, 0.001% of all musicians actually can get to the point where you know, they can make a sustainable career off of their art. And like how, like how cocky would I be to think that I could be one of those people kind of thing. Yeah, um, and and I just thought it was just so much more reasonable to to do a job that like, I I still enjoy, but also have the the time to do it on the side. And so that's kind of when I, I uh, decided to work hard to try to get into med school. And uh, after that happened, then I just kind of continued uh, with music as more of a uh, a hobby because uh, I oh yeah I forgot to mention, but like basically the the crossroads was also because I was in talks with that record label, and they were just saying you know if you want to join us then basically you would have to stop school and so that's why i had to kind of pick one or the other at that point you mean you got pretty close like 
people are like, oh yeah, like you know, um, you like you were right there at the threshold, you know, and like I, I think that like not many people even get to there. So the fact that like you know this is this is where you ended up and you had to make the choice was is is like enough to put down to like yeah, I could have been a you know a, a, a TVB star. I just just you know what? I decided to be a doctor instead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's hard to say. Like, for for me, I just um, in Hong Kong, especially, I get the the music scene and like the entertainment scene is so different. So I, I it's so hard for me to comment on like how uh, viable of a career I, I could have had, even if like that was all set up. But yeah, like it's it was a really cool experience just to get that far along the the track though, and to even have it as a potential option. So it was definitely a really neat part of my life. So would you say that TV show is like similar to like a variety show or just, just to get more information? Cause yeah. We're... So it's the TV show that was on was called the voice. I don't think it's, I don't think it was related to the American, the voice show, but it was like Hong Kong's biggest singing show at the time. And so they, um, the manager had asked if I just wanted to be like a guest performer on that show. Um, that's when I went on it and I performed like a, a bit of my original song and, um, at that point onwards, it was just a lot. It was just super easy for a lot of people that were watching to go and look up uh, my channel and the song that I had performed. And um, yeah, it just led to lots of good opportunities from there. Like um, back in when I got back in North America, then I had a chance to perform with uh, like a few pretty well-known LA uh, YouTubers at the time, like um, like Timothy De La Ghetto and uh, Lydia. Oh, Payne, damn. Okay. Uh, Jenny Sook. I, yeah, I was. I was, uh, yeah, I was able to luckily perform with them for like a, one of the shows that they had here in Calgary. Um, but yeah, ever since then though, like I haven't uh, really done a whole lot <laughs> with my life. <laughs> yeah, except, except for just, you know, like save people's lives, mm-hmm. you know, nothing. Except for that. <laughs> Still. <laughs> and, uh, and John, I guess, uh, like, have you always been doing music? Like, I know that you like were the leader of that, uh, of the choir, but like, um, has music always been like a part of your life? Uh, I had a, I had some remote musical aspirations when I was in high school. Um, I did kind of piano from a young age, but was really, really bad at it. And um, in high school, I, under the encouragement of some friends, I kind of tried out for the choir and started to kind of get an interest for more more singing. Um, it was actually, I really, really got into K-pop uh, in the end of my high school year, and I kind of made a crazy move to audition for SM Entertainment in my first year oh, of university. Oh, okay! Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, much to like the chagrin of my parents, and it 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 was. I think it was really good for me to just throw myself out there, and as expected, I was woefully crushed. (laughs) Um, But I continued to pursue singing in the background, and um, I had a a couple of small kind of choirs before um, before med school. I did. I never really took up singing much more seriously until med school, and then I did classical voice for about four years. Um, but when I met Jan and all these other talented singers like Mike and Phil, um, you know, things kind of took off, and then you know, we we started to produce some things, which was really cool. But um, I learned that I was very much out of. <laughs> out of like the range for my previous professional aspirations when I heard how well these guys sing. So <laughs> oh, uh, it's been a good side hobby. It's been a good side hobby. 
What it's good. I mean, like the through music, you guys like connected, and I think really that's that's kind of the essence of music is connecting people. You know, so uh, you know you, you did good. You did good. And it's a good therapy yeah. too. Like I lo- I love music too. Oh yeah, I agree. So I guess uh, we're getting to the end of the uh, the episode here, but um, I guess our last question for you guys is. Um, in this this whole situation right now, do you have any words of uh, of wisdom, positive energy, uh, motivations to uh, people out there that are maybe a little scared? Maybe your fellow frontline workers. Um, anything that you want to message that you want to send them? Save some toilet paper for the rest of us. <laughs> uh, but in addition to that, um, coming from a, a psychiatry background, like we, there's so much emphasis on how for us, you know, nothing is really permanent, like things come and things go. And I think something that's really easy to forget, especially when we're in situations like this, like people are, uh, there's a good amount of people there that do fear that, you know, this is kind of the end or like, this is like, things are never going to be the same, but you know, eventually (laughs) they will be, it may take a very, very long time, but uh, I think things can start to to pick up and uh, get better uh, and you know it, it may not necessarily things may not necessarily you know look the same the landscape of our healthcare in the society may not look the same but i think people's well-being can definitely get back to where it was or even better uh, once we get out of this and i know that people are even actively um getting to those states even within the pandemic setting uh, such as what john was talking about earlier when People are kind of trying new things that they normally wouldn't uh, in, in this situation, um, new positive things, right? And so I just really want to emphasize to people that there is hope out there that uh, things will turn up. I think from from my perspective, I guess like for all frontline workers, um, you know, I, I think I'm very grateful. And in some ways, me and Jen are, are, are very lucky because we are in subspecialties that aren't in the heart of this pandemic. I mean, we're dealing with patients with brain issues and other kinds of brain issues. But um, for those people, like the nurses, um, the physicians who are dealing with people in the ICU, but even also like those frontline workers in grocery stores and all those essential services that we need. I mean, I think it's such a tremendous debt of gratitude. I think we as like, not only us as like just people in Canada, but um, as fellow frontline workers that, um, you know, they play such a big role in keeping our country going and in allowing the rest of us to live comfortable lives, even if they are in isolation. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think for those who are struggling with the mental health aspect, um, I think fearing or thinking that in some ways, what Jan had uh, talked about too, is it's not going to be just a quick end. We, we really do need to evolve and adapt to the situation. And I think just like our song hopefully um, pointed out too, is that, you know, reaching out to people so that you don't feel isolated or alone and um, letting, being able to connect and talk is such an important part of being human that um, regardless of whether you're in the front line or not, that's something that we need to do at this time. Um, of all times and we need to continue to do as the situation evolves. Awesome. Uh, so I do want to thank both of you, uh, Jan and uh, John, for joining. Uh, really appreciate y'all for taking the time to join us and for Jan for accepting my invitation. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, so this is the point where, you know, if for the listeners, if you have any sort of social media or links for people to find your music or if you want to listen more of your music, if you want to plug yourselves. Or, you know, just to be fans, because that would be... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you want to hear more from us, uh, we'd probably be posting them on my channel on YouTube. And so uh, basically it's youtube.com slash J-J-I-A-N-C, also known as Jan C Music. So uh, yeah, just uh, try to find, uh, just, just try to look our channel up and uh, there may be more coming in the future, hopefully. <laughs> If you're interested in far inferior quality music and uh, more musical puns, me and one of my uh, previous roommates created a channel called Lorazijam, um, which if you're interested, you can also check out on YouTube, but um, definitely will not touch the work that Jam produces. <laughs> uh, that's, he's selling himself short. It's really good. You should spell it out. It's, it's L-O-R-A-Z-E-J-A-M. Sorry, yeah, is, yeah. That, is that a, a pun on lorazepam? It, it sure is. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask that. I'm like, yo, I got it, John. Don't worry. Like, it was not lost on me. Okay. You know, it's, it's funny because when you type it into YouTube, it auto always autocorrects to lorazepam. Um, yeah. But yeah, you do need to you do need to change it to the J to find it. Yeah, I can see it now. It's, I think it's a rule. That every single Asian group out there uh, must have a pun in the name. And as always, uh, please like and follow us on social media at Chat Time Podcast. We do have our podcast on Apple Podcasts, so make sure to review and rate us. It supports myself and Calvin and motivates us to find amazing guests like these two. And it keeps this podcast going. All right. Thank you. Yeah, nice talking to you. Thank you for having us. Thank you all as well. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate (laughs) it. All right, everyone, thank you, and good night. Bye.